Today's podcast is per request of Katie Smith, MD, on Twitter, who has suggested osteoporosis and EIN. So here's osteoporosis. We are working on EIN. And Katie Smith, thank you very much. Welcome, everyone, to another fabulous episode. This is Faye. And this is Nick. And we are Creags over coffee. All right. So today we're going to talk about osteoporosis. So learning objectives for today. Number one, we're going to talk about physiology or pathophysiology of osteoporosis, as well as risk factors for osteoporosis. We're going to talk about the diagnosis, screening, and risk assessment for osteoporosis, and then we'll spend some brief time on therapies and prevention for osteoporosis. Nick, what is osteoporosis? Osteoporosis fundamentally is just loss of bone mass and decline in bone quality leading to increased fracture risk. Surprisingly, I didn't know before looking at this topic that women are actually at a twofold increased fracture risk over men. Because women outnumber men, they account for approximately 71% of osteoporotic fractures. That's pretty impressive. That is. Hey, where, what happens with the bone? Why does osteoporosis happen? So I think before we can even talk about osteoporosis, Nick, we're going to have to talk about bone physiology in general and go all the way back to how bone is formed, how it's acquired, and then why women, as they get older, are at increased risk for getting osteoporotic fractures. Yeah, that's kind of post-traumatic stress there. Again, hitting that medical school one more time. (laughs) There you go. 90% of our bone mass is actually acquired during childhood and adolescence. Establishing healthy habits here is really going to give you a lot of good long-term bone health, good nutrition, physical activity early on. Peak bone mass in adolescence has been correlated with a later life fracture risk. Bone mineralization and buildup in puberty is optimized by sex steroids, predominantly estrogen, in both young girls and boys. Peak density is achieved around age 19 in women and around age 20 in men. In adults, Bone is in what we call physiologic equilibrium. So there's always formation of new bone, but at the same time, there's always going to be breakdown or bone resorption. And over time, as we get older, this begins to favor resorption more and more. The loss of estrogen in menopause, remember we talked about how estrogen is actually what helps you build bone before, so the loss of it during menopause is going to trigger rapid bone loss in women that is not seen in men. Now that we've talked about how bone is made and broken down, what are some of the other factors that can determine bone mineral density and and fracture risk, Nick? Yeah, so really 60 to 80% of your bone mineral density is influenced by genetic factors. Um, So there's a lot of this stuff that really just kind of comes with you at baseline. But there are some things that you can do um, to help or to minimize your loss of bone mineral density. One thing that we can't help, though, is age. It's not entirely clear how age affects bone quality other than what we've talked about with sort of the onset of menopause and rapid bone resorption. But a DEXA result in a 50-year-old and that same result if it happens in an 80-year-old will actually put the 80-year-old at a much higher risk of fracture. Um, And it's not entirely clear why that 80-year-old is at much higher risk, but that's the case. 
Things that we can help, though, are a lot of things that we always tell our patients about. Having good nutrition. Obviously, things like anorexia um, or malnutrition or nutritional deficiency can cause problems with bone formation. And particularly if you look at the case of anorexia, not only do you suffer with problems with protein, calcium, vitamin D deficiencies, but if we talk again about estrogen, there's limited and no production of estrogen in patients with anorexia or severe anorexia. So they're not really mineralizing bone as well. Physical activity is another protective modifier. Walking, weight-bearing exercise, aerobic exercise, all of those can contribute to maintaining bone mineral density. And then general health considerations. Cigarette smokers are at higher risk of fractures. Alcohol use, more than three drinks a day, is more associated with poor mineral density. And then as physicians as well, one thing that we always have to think about are medications that we prescribe our patients that may have an impact on mineral density. So in GYN, there are actually a lot of medications that we use. So think about things like Depo-Provera um, or GnRH agonists like Lupron or aromatase inhibitors. All of those things may suppress or eliminate estrogen or estrogen's effects and so then have a negative consequence on bone health, especially when used in the long term. Additionally, though, GYNs are not likely to prescribe these long term, glucocorticoids are also another medication to consider that will have a negative impact on bone health. Hmm. So, Faye, I guess kind of going forward from here, we've talked a lot about osteoporosis and those risk factors. So how do we diagnose this? How do we look for osteoporosis? Yeah, so there are a few screening tests that uh, we can use. So the USPSTF recommends getting a DEXA scan or a dual-energy X-ray absorptiometry screening in women age 65 or um, in younger postmenopausal women who are at increased fracture risk based on a formal assessment tool. So the DEXA scan looks at bone mineral density in three places, the femoral neck, the hip, and the lumbar spine, and it provides a T-score and a Z-score. So the T-score is calculated at each site, and it basically compares the patient's bone mineral density to a cohort of young, healthy women. So the T-score should be better than minus 1.0. If the T-score is less than minus 2.5 or less, or more negative um, at any site, that is considered osteoporosis. And if the T-score is between minus 1 and minus 2.5, that's considered osteopenia. Got it. The Z-score is also calculated, and that compares the patient's bone mineral density to women at her age, not just to young, healthy women. The Z-score should not be used to diagnose osteoporosis, but it can be use a useful adjunct in comparing one patient to her peer or her age group. There are Definitely other fracture risk scoring systems, and they each have their own strengths and limitations, but the most commonly encountered one that we use is something called the FRAX tool. So the FRAX score is modified based on the patient's race, and it looks like a bunch of other things, um, things like their age, their BNMI, their personal or family history of hip fractures, all those risk factors that we talked about before, like smoking, alcohol, steroid use, and secondary osteoporosis history, and optionally, a previous bone mineral density score from the DEXA scan to calculate a 10-year risk of major fracture and separately a risk of hip fracture. If the FRAX calculates a greater than 20% risk of major fracture or a greater than 3% risk of hip fracture, that's also an indication for treatment of osteoporosis. If that FRAX score is greater than 9.3% in a patient who's younger than 65 or has any of these risk factors, it may be worth considering performing that DEXA before the age of 65. Got it. So the FRAX 
just one more time quickly is race, age, BMI, family or personal history of hip fracture, smoking, alcohol, steroids, secondary osteoporosis, and optionally that bone mineral density score. So we've talked about screening, we've talked about all these risk factors. So what am I supposed to do if I actually have a patient that does have osteoporosis? So yeah, if we're looking at a patient and say that she has a particularly low Z-score because we decided to get a DEXA before age 65, or say she actually had an osteoporotic fracture at a young age, at that point it's probably worth consulting with an endocrinologist or internal medicine doctor to consider secondary osteoporosis. ACOG does have a practice bulletin on osteoporosis, number 129, and has an excellent table of all the possible suspects, but this table is literally a whole page long of possibilities of what can cause secondary osteoporosis. And even the bulletin admitted it was beyond the scope of the document to consider all of these things. <laughs> so if you're thinking about pseudo-pseudo-hypoparathyroidism, then it might be worth chatting with a consultant. <laughs> But let's keep it simple, Faye. Let's just talk about kind of run-of-the-mill classic osteoporosis. Um, and we'll run through a lot of the classic therapies here. So the first-line therapy classically are bisphosphonates. Um, you may remember them from studying pharmacology with a suffix of dronate. Um, these definitely are efficacious in reducing fracture risk, 35 to 65% depending on the agent. Therapy is often limited to less than five years due to limited data on use beyond that point. The thing to remember with bisphosphonates are these weird side effects. So the things people always talk about are significant reflux or trauma of the esophagus. Talk, tell patients to stand upright for 30 to 60 minutes after they take the medicine to prevent these things. And then the other weird one, osteonecrosis of the jaw. Fortunately, these are rare things to find, um, but again, these weird side effects are the testable side effects. Another medication you can consider is raloxifene, which is a CIRM, and if you remember with the CIRMs, they have selective responses at different types of estrogen receptors. So at the bone, it's an, it has an agonist effect and an antagonist effect on breast and uterus. So this is a good choice in patients who have a risk of breast cancer or uterine cancer. The big side effect to consider with raloxifene is that there is an increased risk of having a venous thromboembolism. So definitely should be considered carefully in someone who does have a history of stroke, PE, or DVT. Other therapies that you can consider are calcitonin, denosumab, and recombinant parathyroid hormone. But if you're curious, you can read a little bit about them in the practice bulletin, but I'd also would think that if you're thinking about prescribing these things, you might want to chat with an endocrinologist first. Really in the practice bulletin, and probably for CREOGs too, are how much calcium and vitamin D are we supposed to be recommending to patients? And I always feel like I have to ask this question too. If I see somebody and they have like, oh, this much vitamin D, this much calcium prescribed, I never know if it's like the right amount or if it's the recommended amount, exactly where it needs to be. Fortunately, ACOG gives us a nice little breakdown of how much dietary calcium and vitamin D patients are supposed to be taking for the prevention of osteoporosis. Um, we'll put the table on our website, but really the ones to remember are between ages 19 and 50, they should have 1,000 milligrams of calcium and 600 units of vitamin D. Between 51 and 70, that increases to 1,200 milligrams of calcium, and vitamin D stays the same at 600. And then at age 71 and older, 
the same amount of calcium, 1,200 milligrams, but then 800 units of vitamin D. What about hormone replacement therapy? Doesn't that work to treat osteoporosis as well? So, sort of. Um, HRT has been shown to reduce the risk of fracture in peri- and postmenopausal women by about a third based on the Women's Health Initiative. Um, and while it can be used in this preventive sense, HRT is not approved as a treatment for osteoporosis. Um, so again, it's one of those adjuncts you can add to maintain bone health, but not something that you could use like in place of a bisphosphonate. We'll tackle HRT more in another episode. So I think that brings us to the end of our osteoporosis episode. So let's go back and review everything. So first of all, osteoporosis, loss of bone mass, decline in bone quality leads to increased fracture risk. Women are at a twofold risk compared to men. For the basic bone physiology, remember that you're going to acquire 90% of your bone mass in childhood and adolescence, so you need to set a good foundation early. Peak bone density is achieved at age 19 in women, and then from that point onward, the bone is comparatively in sort of this equilibrium state, but bone eventually starts to get resorbed, and the bone gets weaker and weaker until you hit menopause, and then you really get a weakening because of the reduction in estrogen. There are multiple risk factors that are both modifiable and not modifiable. Those things are like genetics, age, nutrition, physical activity, general health, so things like avoiding um, things like cigarette smoking and alcohol use, um, and certain medications. In terms of screening for osteoporosis, the United States Preventive Service Task Force recommends the DEXA scan at age 65, or in younger postmenopausal women who are at increased risk of fracture based on something like the FRAX tool. Um, and in terms of treating these women, bisphosphonates, raloxifene, maybe calcitonin, denosumab, recombinant PTH. But again, once you're getting to this point, you really should be talking to your endocrinologist friends. And also remember calcium and vitamin D and possibly HRT, but we'll cover that at a different episode. So once again, I'm Nick. I'm Faye. And this is Creogs Over Coffee. And remember, got milk? Guys, if you liked this episode, please take the time to rate us on iTunes, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, and feel free to reach out with any feedback. You can find us on the web at creogsovercoffee.com, or you can reach out to us on social media at Creogs Over Coffee on Facebook or at Creogs Over Coffee number one on Twitter. Mm-hmm.